I think I hit the microphone a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to another episode of Are You Ready for Another? It's about two friends and cousins getting together, talking about beer and talking about what's going on in their life. So, Kevin, how's it going? It's pretty good. Trying to uh, stay warm out there. You know, it's like negative 10 degrees or something. So, yeah. But I got a nice tasty beer, so can't complain. So I'm drinking the New Belgium uh, Liquid Paradise IPA. It's kind of interesting. It has like a like a fruity flavor to it, which I don't really drink many of, of IPAs that are fruity like that. So it's kind of caught me by surprise. I'm drinking the Brewdog Albino Squid Assassin. Um, <laughs> that is a mouthful. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's a pretty cool can. I'll 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 uh, you know put up the, the link and stuff so you can see the cover but it's got like a right. giant squid with <laughs> in each tentacle there's like a machine gun a knife a grenade <laughs> a handgun it is definitely a a, a squid assassin um, but it's a yeah it's a red ale and an amber red ale and okay. it's uh, 7.4 percent but yeah it's pretty good yeah my my um can it it's it's pretty interesting. It's uh, like a skeleton that has on a hat and like a t-shirt and he's lounging in a pool um, like on a floaty and it's like the shot is like him like with his hands behind his back <laughs> and so it's like liquid paradise uh-huh. IPA. I was just reading a story about how if you are selling beer across state lines like from Ohio to Pennsylvania all your labels need to be approved by um, someone in the government. Hmm. And um, I'll, I'll need to find the article. And again, I'm completely butchering this. But there, w- up until like a few years ago, there was one guy that had to approve all labels. <laughs> 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 and, and I don't know if it stems from like back in the day, some type of prohibition thing. And it was like a holdover of that or whatever. But um, reading the article, they do say there's like eight people there now. And it's it's kind of weird because if you think about it, yeah, up until 10 years ago, there was only maybe, now I'm on the high side, I think, a thousand different breweries in the United States, probably, you know, because right. I mean, for years and years, it was just, you know, Anheuser-Busch, who was just like maybe changing Bud Light label once every 10 years or something. But yeah. now with yeah. the explosion of microbreweries, you have this crazy giant squid with machine guns and stuff <laughs> and, <laughs> and so so you if you have to sell it over state lines you have to have it approved by yeah, yeah. a person yeah let me see that's in, that's interesting i would like to see the ones that got rejected they're like nope <laughs> you know squid with tentacles okay but dancing frog clowns not not gonna do it yeah, the it's called Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, or TTB for short. And here's an ar- article from BrewBounds.com. It's craft beer news, events, and jobs. But with government reopened, the TTB begins processing backlog of beer labels. <laughs> <laughs> These TTB workers are tasked with processing a backlog of nearly 10,000 alcohol beverage label approval requests. That have been submitted so far this year. 10,000 labels just wow. in those 35 days that the government was shut down. So they have this backlog that they need to pick back up. I know. Talk about working overtime. I know. 
Now, do they get to drink the beer that they're trying, or are they literally just yeah. looking at it from a visual standpoint? <laughs> right. It's just like PDF documents of, <laughs> of what the label would look like. Yeah. That's pretty funny that I did not know that even existed. Yeah, it's one of those like things you learned today, you know, that you would never even think is a thing, but it actually turns out to be a pretty big thing in our life, you know? <laughs> right, right. So, like, I've always, I'm a graphic designer by trade. I know you've been into, you know, art and stuff in the past, and mm-hmm. I always love looking at going to the store and looking at labels and thinking to myself, like, what were they thinking here? Were they, like, just trying to grab people's attention? Like, we have the most crazy, you know, thing ever. The jumping squid hopping on the right. back of a rhinoceros. The pigtails and, you know. <laughs> it's like, what? what's the thought process that goes behind that? I would like to know, like, some of the stories behind some of these labels. Because I'm sure they're, like, pretty ridiculous of, like, how they came up with them. <laughs> so, Brewdog is new to the united states uh it was a brand in scotland and maybe you know more than me but i'm pretty sure they had a tv show and the tv show was about them trying to find a place in the united states that they could set up shop like as their home base for distribution for the united states is that Mm -hmm. is that right and they had they narrowed it down and i think the show was talking about all the places they were trying out and stuff and they narrowed it down to canal winchester which is a southeast of columbus in ohio it's a pretty cool place but one of the crazy things that they (laughs) they do is they have their staples of their beers just like a lot of breweries but man just in the last few months i feel like they're just pumping out new cans every week of just different flavors and styles and stuff it's just it's kind of mind-blowing well it's funny because i also think about that like i wish i knew more about the brewing process but like from an economic business perspective like does it really make sense to like constantly be making like these small batches? Cause I'm sure some of the ingredients that they have to buy are pretty expensive. Yeah. So I just, I wonder like, yeah. At what point do, <laughs> does the accounting people be like, all right, we need to dial this back a little bit. We're spending way too much money on, <laughs> on these exotic herbs yeah. and you know? Yeah. Well, I know, um, like Jackie O's that's in Athens, Ohio. Um, they would have special bottle releases, right? That, hey, we we only have X amount of bottles of this specially brewed uh, beer. And they were a huge hit, you know? Uh Lines around the block, you would have to get a a lottery number. And the lottery number was like your month. And it was a a calendar uh, day. Like, you know, those little calendars you'd have, like, you would rip off the front page. And it's like, oh, today's Monday, July 30th or whatever. Oh, yeah. And so you would get, you'd be like, oh, what's your date? And it's like, oh, I didn't get until March 31st or something. So you would have to, you'd literally go through the dates in the calendar uh, while you're waiting in the brewery for your your day to be called. Um, So it's kind of a cool thing. But man, those those bottle sales would just like fly. And I think it's kind of the, um, you know, as beer or people that really get into beer and and micro uh, uh, beers, they really like that quest for something unique and new and different. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. even if it's just a slight flavor change and the profile is different than the typical one. It's that like, oh, man, I remember that one from 
so and so, and you know, so it, it it's probably it's got to outweigh the cost of doing those unique things, right? Like, yeah, because yeah. they can brew one bottle, charge fifteen twenty dollars for it. You know, I'm making up numbers here, but mm-hmm. there's no way it costs fifteen dollars to brew that one beer, right? So there's probably just some type of prestige or um, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, not unique, um, scarce, scarcity of it. Yeah, like scarcity. Yeah, yeah. that it's a limited release. Yeah, exactly the scarcity of it. Yeah, but, you know that kind of brings up a good point. Is like, Kevin, how did how did you start drinking craft beers? I I I mean, I would say that you know you were like my number one influence with getting into craft beers. I mean, uh, this was around. I think like 2007, 2008. And, and I'm sure if you could look at like a chart of the craft beer explosion, that's probably when things started taking off. So I kind of feel like kind of that I was on the leading edge of this craft beer explosion that had happened. But, um, uh, you guys, you and your brother were just like, you know, there's, greater beers out there besides Miller Lite. And I'm just like, well, what do you mean? And they're like, oh, you got to you gotta try this beer. And I was just like, huh. And so I think that's when I I realized, like, you know, my, my options were a lot bigger um, yeah. than just, like, Miller and Bud, Miller and Bud. Yeah. Um, but I would say that um, my very first beer that like kind of like turned me into this like i want to try to different ones Mm -hmm. was um goose island's honkers ale Mm. uh which i think is just a pale ale Mm -hmm. but still it was different enough at the time that it like oh i've never thought about trying a stout before or a porter or you know like a red ale or all this stuff so it kind of really was like my my gateway beer into uh, a a growing craft market at the time. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I was gonna I was gonna say what 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 do you think about like when you look back on on how you got into craft beers? Is it <clears throat> is it similar story? Yeah, or? I mean it. You know, if you think about it, I and and I don't think either of us have anything against Miller Lite or anything. I mean, we still drink Bush Light on you know occasion and stuff, um, right? But it was just this new thing that, you know, you felt like you were, <laughs> like, on the underground, you know, development mm-hmm. of this thing. And it was like... Yeah, you that's, know, kind of, that's a good way to put it. And it's... You, you felt like you were an insider, yeah, so, so to speak. And and now it's this huge booming industry in any town, any small town or city you go into will have tons of breweries and stuff. And it's just... It's a really cool... It's kind of like become a cool touristy thing. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I... I, I, I I think there's two moments in in my pre-craft drinking that really stand out to me in my mind. And one is my friend uh, Nate from high school um, went to Case Western University in Cleveland uh, for his undergrad. And when I'd go up and visit him, Nate would always, where I was drinking Natty Light or Miller Light or something like that, he was always drinking Guinness or... And not to say that Guinness is a fancy beer, but to my Natty Light drinking taste buds, yeah, you know Guinness was like <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was, 
it might have been it might as well have been wine you know that's what it was right, like to right me. but anyways yeah nate would give me you know a guinness or something and at one point okay he you know i drink pale ales every now and then because they were the closest mm-hmm. thing to what i was used to drinking and so he gave me a, a black and tan uh which is like it would be guinness and some other pale ale and i'm not sure what the pale ale that he gave me as and i think a lot of people call it half and a half um but I had one, and I'm sitting in his dorm room, and <laughs> it was on the floor. And Nate poured it like perfectly up to the, you know, the very tip. And I think he was even right. using the official Guinness glasses with the little uh, bulbous sides and stuff. I'm not sure they're, yeah. you know, um, imperial pint glasses. I believe is what they're called. Yeah, that's it. Thanks, Kevin. And I just knocked it over accidentally completely accidentally and uh-huh. and, and uh-huh. nate was like come on man if you didn't like it you didn't have to <laughs> and of course it's this really dark beer it's all over the floor and we're like scrambling oh, to clean it shoot. up um so didn't have a good first experience with any different types of beer outside of you know my natty lights uh uh-huh. fast forward a few years um the local radio station columbus uh qfm 96 is having a um, crawl for something, a pub crawl. I don't even remember what it was for. Uh, But Guinness was sponsoring it. And if you went to all the breweries that were there, you got Guinness for a dollar a pint, I believe. So uh, the... QFM host would show up. She'd have her radio stuff and be like, hey, hey, we're here with blah, blah, blah. And we would go there and get it. And I was like, you know so money conscious at the time that i was like well hey i can <laughs> get a beer for a dollar even though i'm sure i could have right. gotten another beer for a dollar but you know it was the <laughs> and it was again it was the like uniqueness of it it was like oh you're getting something special you're getting guinness for a dollar you know um yeah yeah so my brother adam and our rich friend john uh you know were out and we met one of my brother's friends and we just went to these three or four bars and we'd get a Guinness. And there was just something that clicked. I don't know if it was because I was older and I was just, my mind changed where I was willing to try different flavors. And mm-hmm. on the way home, I remember my brother and I just talking about like, you know, that was actually pretty good, that Guinness. And at the time we knew um, what is now Jackie O's. Um, used to be a bar uh, called Ohulis that in the 90s had brewed their own beer um, okay. just for a very short time. But the um, Ohulis was purchased and the new owners were experimenting with new beers and um, and trying to brew their own again. And this was probably 2005, six maybe. Um, mm-hmm. And Adam brought that up and he said, you know, um, and I'm not sure if they were called Jackios yet. I think they were still Ohulis. But he said, you know, Ohulis has their a version of Guinness. You know, it's kind of a stout beer. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I like, I want to try that now. And we just went there and started drinking. And then like the nerds that we were immediately opened an Excel sheet and was like, oh, we need to start keeping track of all these beers that. <laughs> <laughs> that we like and it's like right. you know that excel sheet i think my brother probably still has it but let's say it probably has seven beers on it and we we're like struggling to come up with an idea of like a scoring system do we do one through five 
do we do one through right. four, <laughs> one through ten? What does that even mean? We've only tried probably ten beers in our life at that point. Uh, yeah. Nine of them were, you know, either Bud Light, Budweiser, Miller Light, <laughs> you know, right. Miller High Life, you know, and it's like. So was it just literally a column of the beer name and then a column of like an arbitrary score yeah, number? Yeah, like, yeah, Okay. Yeah. So there was like no contextual like, you know, nope. um, you know, this is, I like this for this reason. Well, you know, we, we didn't really think of beer that way, you know, like. Okay. Like I didn't think. Even when I would drink Rolling Rock or something, you know, compared mm-hmm. to yeah. to Natty Light, the flavor profile or what style it was was like something that was so foreign to me. Like, I, I mm-hmm. think if you would have asked me what makes Guinness so different, I wouldn't be like, oh, it's a stout. I would be like, oh, it's just dark. So I am drinking the Jackie O's Berliner style Weiss. This is a Berliner type beer. Um, which okay. I've, I I initially I dislike uh, styles like this, mm-hmm. but over the years um, when they've been a little sour, I've grown to like them. Um, and what's kind of interesting about this beer is it used to be called Berliner Weiss or B- Berliner Weiss. Um, mm-hmm. Probably pronouncing that horribly, but uh, there there's some <laughs> there's some German beer naming laws or probably probably to deal with that label person at the ttd um so that they can't make their name kind of a unique thing like that because it's a style uh so now it is called the berliner style (laughs) weiss um which is just a weird (laughs) another weird rule thing but uh what about you what are you drinking so I am drinking the Sierra Nevada Hazy Little Thing IPA. So I'm sticking with my IPAs tonight. Yeah, yeah. Um, this one is more, I, I don't know if, if there is such a thing as a traditional tasting IPA, but so like the first one was like kind of fruity tasting, and this one just kind of has that hop taste to it. So mm-hmm. there's nothing really, really fancy about it, so. You know, I I I started using Untapped, but I got to I got to tell you, I I kind of fell off the wagon with it. I I still have it, but I don't feel like when I try a new beer, I don't necessarily feel like the like I have to check this in or you know mm-hmm. like log it or anything. Yeah. Um. But I I it, it's not that I don't think it's it's great for remembering what you what you drink, but it's just like. You know, your kind of your habits change. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, you know, my my uh, oh, I'm trying this beer for the first time. I gotta, I gotta log it. You know, because you know, at the end of the day, are you really going to like scroll back through? You know, the thousands of beers you've drank, and you'd be like, oh yeah, you know. But <laughs> um, but you know what? What I do like about it is is if there's a beer on a menu that I'm not familiar with, mm-hmm. I look it up and untapped. Yeah. Because like sometimes beer menus suck and they don't actually say like what the beer is, like what type of beer. Exactly. And so I'll look it up I'll I'll look it up in on, on untapped and I'm just like uh you know that that's a Kolsch. you probably wouldn't like that, yeah. you know, or something like that. Yeah. So I do think it's it's very helpful in that regard. Yeah. But I mean, what what is what is your current status with Untapped right now? Well, let's 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 pull it up. Um, 
it's funny. I love the idea of untapped. I, I use it, but I'm definitely not my wife. Um, you know, it's probably you can see you can friend people. Right. So you can mm-hmm. you can, mm-hmm. you know, become your close friends. You can see what they're checking in. You can, you know, you, you know, give them a cheers and stuff. Um but they also have like badges like, you, you know, you're an IPA king because you drink, you know, yeah. 10 different IPAs in 10 different locations and stuff. Uh, right now, I've checked in um, 600. I've had 694 check ins. Um, wow. And that's individual beers. No, no, that's that's, this... that's number of check ins. So for individual oh, okay. beers, I've had 605. Well, still yeah. 605 different beers. That's crazy. Yeah. And um, it was funny um, when I lived in in D.C. Um, oh, what's the horse race called? Um, you know the Kentucky Derby. The Kentucky Derby. There was that horse that was going to win the Triple Crown uh, for the oh, first yeah, time yeah. since like '76 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we're in a bar, and I'm checking in a beer on an Untapped, and my wife at that time was double the number of um, uniques uh, check ins to me, okay. and, and and like. I th- to your point of you kind of fall off the wagon with it. Um, there's certain uh-huh. people like my wife or our friend Mike that like they they love capturing what they like and don't like because they do use later on. Have I checked this in? You know, like we'll be out and be like, oh, I mm. haven't checked this one in. Yeah. Oh, I love this one because right. you can't remember every single beer that you've liked mm-hmm. ever. You know, mm-hmm. so it's a handy dandy. You know, look back. Um, right. But what was funny about that day was I noticed that Mike and my wife were neck and neck <laughs> with their number of unique check-ins <laughs> almost like the horse race that was happening on okay. tv okay and so i started a a text battle with them like showing them screen caps of their two beer or their two untapped check-ins and saying you know who's gonna win before the end of the, <laughs> end of yeah. the kentucky derby <laughs> <laughs> and so That's i pitted them, awesome. you know and then it became like um, my wife was astringent. You have to drink the full beer for it to count. Um, she mm. didn't count tasting beers. Um, okay. And okay. I think that's pretty hardcore. That, that was, you know, yeah, because like, she yeah. she wanted it to be real. But then I think that day, because obviously she wasn't going to drink six beers <laughs> in an hour, so she switched right. to tasting beers. And I think the rule kind of is stuck, you know, because you don't need uh-huh. to drink a uh-huh. pint, you know, of beer to be able to like it or rate it you know <laughs> right, and that's kind of right. when uh realizing that tasting beers is actually probably healthier for you you know <laughs> yeah and also yeah. It, it lets you try more things more often so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah I, i've never thought about it that way but um you know it's like you don't you, you don't need a pound uh you know a pint of uh, a certain beer to to get the full experience, you can probably take, you know, maybe four ounces of it. And, and you, you got the gist. You know what? My coolest beer story is I was in Belgium. Okay. And I was in, in Brussels in Belgium. And we went to this this small little like hole in the wall um, bar. And it was called Delirium. Which it's if if you know of Delirium Tremors, the Belgian beer, it it was named after the same the same beer, but um so we go like you literally have to walk down this alley to get to this bar. So like we're in another country, it's nighttime, we're, we really don't know where we're going. 
seems kind of sketchy. Mm-hmm. We find we finally get to this bar, and this bar, it's like a Tuesday night, but this bar is just like rocking. Like it is like just packed full of people. And we're like, oh, well, I guess that's why Belgians have a reputation of like <laughs> having so many beers and drinking and stuff because it's like a Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. So it's my wife and I there, and we're waiting for my brother and sister-in-law to come. They they were going to meet us. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're like, we're right behind you. So, so we finally find a table, and, you know, I tell my wife, I'm going to go get us something you know, stay here, save this table because, you know, if she gets up, it's going to be immediately taken. Mm -hmm. So I go up to the bar and of course, like all of the beers, I cannot read the names of them. (laughs) So I'm thinking like in my head, like which beer can I actually pronounce to order at the bartender, you know? And so there, there was like one beer, you know, that, that I could actually like say, that's the one I wanted. So this bar had an interesting, like, tap system. It came down from the ceiling. It wasn't, like, from the from the bar. Mm-hmm. So, like, there was probably 25 different handles that were, like, hanging from the ceiling. And, like, that's how they were filling the beers. And so, like, I asked the guy, I'd say, can I have two, you know, whatever it was. And he's like, sure. And so he starts filling my beer while he's already filling another beer. Now the other beer is like halfway full, uh, you know, through the glass. Uh And so as the glass gets to the very top of, of being full, he headbutts the handle (laughs) for the beer (laughs) to shut it off. And while still filling my beer, and then he like slams them both down to myself and the person that ordered the other beer and was just like, there you go. And I just thought it was like the most badass <laughs> experience because not only was this guy like taking a thousand orders at the same time, he was headbutting the handles to shut them off while like dual wielding the the, the beers of, of different customers. So <laughs> that was that was definitely <laughs> The most memorable type of like brewery bar experience, I would say, that I have. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. But uh, <laughs> what what about you? Do you have a, a memorable experience for for all the places you visited and and lived in? Yeah, it, it's kind of funny because I, I have a short one, um, and then I have a, a slightly longer one. But the uh, the short one, have you heard of McSorley's uh, Ale House in New York City? It's supposedly like the oldest bar or the oldest running bar in New York or something. Okay. Since like the mid 1850s or something. Mm -hmm. But, um, you go in there and I, like women weren't allowed in it until like the sixties or Mm seventies, you know? Um, but you go in there and they have two types of beers, you know, they have Uh like dark and light, I think like, and and that's it. And (laughs) there, there's nothing else you, you ask for, you don't, you know, it's literally like, you know, movies, people will go up and they'll be like, Hey, bartender, give me a beer. And they just give you a beer. And you're like, man, I wonder Mm -hmm. what would happen if you went into a bar now and just said, give me a beer. Like (laughs) they'd probably be like, but what kind do you want? You know, (laughs) but I still want to do that someday. Yeah. But you know, McSorley's is really cool just because it's got this history and you walk in and like the dust 
on the fixtures and stuff has been there for probably 30 years since the last time they cleaned mm-hmm. and i don't know just lots of history and stuff that so that was always mm-hmm. just a i love the concept of just yeah give me a, a dark and a light and it's like boom you know throwing the beer down the <laughs> down the thing at you and stuff but uh i'd say probably my my most like one of I will say one of my favorite memories is our friends Mike and Audrey will um <clears throat> are huge fans of Jackie O's brewery in Athens, Ohio. Okay. And Jackie O's would each year release what is called the Cellar Cuvee. Um and it's a unique blend that the brewer um Brad Clark at Jackie O's would make and it'd be super limited and he would generally only release it to um the employees and cl- close friends of the employees at first and then i think they would eventually make it into something else but it was always kind of a mm-hmm. a wild cuvee uh beer and so but anyways mike and audrey every year have a cellar cuvee party um okay and because they would have versions of the cellar cuvee that they've saved you know they might have bought five bottles or something so cellar cuvee one they had five bottles, Cellar Cuvée 2, you know. So every year they would do a tasting of, up to that point, all the beers, you know, of the Cellar Cuvées from previous years. Mm-hmm. So this particular year we had had, um, we were up to Cellar Cuvée 11. And um, it was me, it was my wife, it was my brother and sister-in-law, Mike Audrey, the owner of Jackie O's, and Brad uh, Brad, the brewer of Jackie O's, came over for this tasting. And Brad's um, uh, f- girlfriend at the time, I think now fiance, was there as well. And she's from California. Okay. And so Brad is, uh, you know, describing the newest one. And <laughs> he's going through, like, and he's saying how he makes the descriptions. And sometimes he just, like, whatever he's eating that night, that's what pairs well with the beer you know officially like he's like one time i was having a steak and i was like you know pairs well steak just because he happened to be eating a steak well my i bought my wife um a uh cookbook that was for um things that pair well with beers Mm -hmm. and she made this it's called chocolate salami where it doesn't have salami or meat in it, but it's you, you kind of make it to look like salami. Um, you know, it's like rolled up. It's this like dark log with powdered sugar over it and stuff, and you kind of like beat it and stuff. So it kind of looks like salami. <laughs> dark log that you beat. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> um, but anyways, so as BC is like coming up with um, the descriptor text for Cellar Cuvée 11 while we're drinking it, um, and here's the official description, or here at least is what the description came up with that night. I don't know if they're still using that as the official description, but it's a blend of bourbon barrel-aged barley wine, imperial red, and Belgian quad. Deep within the garnet glass lies depths unknown to man. Pairs well with chocolate salami, beet blue cheese, and fig ba- bacon. God damn it. And fig bacon flatbread. And so, yeah, we got uh, chocolate salami in there as pairs well with the uh, Cellar Cuvée 11 for Jackie O's. That's funny. <laughs> but it's it's kind of wild, you know. It's like the idea that you go anywhere in the United States and everybody has the same Bud Light, Miller Light, etc. is a fairly new concept, right? Like... Right. You know, 
before prohibition, if you went to any town, um, they'd be making their own beer. You know, like it mm-hmm. just wasn't. Mm-hmm. What one? It wasn't feasible, technologically feasible. You know, they couldn't transport beer and it'd go bad and stuff. You know, right? Um, I mm-hmm. mean, heck, you still go to places in Europe that are like, yeah, we've never stopped just having like a little brewery of making our own beer. You know, <laughs> like yeah. And yeah. I, I kind of feel that swing going back to that. It's just like it's this hyper local mentality of you go to any town, um, and there'll probably be a little brewery there. You know, whether it's good or not is a different conversation but in mm-hmm. such a cool mm-hmm. market that exists and you know it i don't know it's just it's just, it's just this fun thing that you know you can and, right. it's, and again it's not about getting drunk all the time it can be getting drunk um but a lot of time it's just tasting you know and um mm-hmm. for a long time i didn't understand wine people right it, it seemed very elitist to me you know or classes mm-hmm. that it's like oh i i like to sip my wine you know and it's just like <clears throat> it seemed ridiculous right like shouldn't you just drink wine to get drunk or whatever but it's like well no you don't you, you can just really enjoy a flavor of something um right and it's just i don't know it's a cool time to be in i think yeah yeah absolutely i i and that reminds me of like when i was in germany you know, there was these bars there that literally the bar had its own beer and they didn't serve any other beer. It was that particular beer. And, you know, it's like you would try that bar's beer and then you would go to another bar and that bar would have a beer. So it was like it was like super hyper local because it wasn't even just like, you know, in one town. It was like that particular bar had that particular beer yeah so yeah no that's seattle is very much that way um Mm -hmm. katie and i lived there for like two seconds (laughs) um but uh uh (laughs) when we did live there one of the you know we were in our late 20s early 30s and you know we didn't have children um we wanted to move someplace cool that we could walk um fairly easily um i would say think of uh soto sopa <laughs> from south park is probably right. what we had in mind but um you know we you know didn't necessarily want to be in that type of area but that's kind of what we were navig or uh, gravitating towards um and we were looking and i was like you know what i'm just gonna go to google maps i'm gonna look at breweries in seattle and i'm gonna see where the highest concentration of breweries are because we like tasting beers Mm -hmm. and we did some searching and uh pretty much there's two locations that are slightly north of the downtown seattle and it's called ballard and there's fremont and there's these the ballard is this old fishing town um and fremont is called the center of the universe um, which is another story we can talk about later. But um, there were so many breweries around. And it was like within uh-huh. a half mile radius, or a mile radius, I should say, um, there was probably at the time, this was f- four, five years ago, there were mm-hmm. like 20 breweries. I think it's probably doubled by this point. You know, and it's just like somewhere in the back of a person's house, somewhere like in, you know, just this warehouse district that used to have all these warehouses that weren't being used Mm -hmm. anymore. And so they're opening up breweries and stuff. And it was such a cool experience just to be like, 
where Katie and I would quickly find our restaurants or dinner places that we wanted to go to. And Seattle has tons of restaurant places, but, Mm -hmm. you know, five times out of eight, we'd be like, you just want to go to Kiss Cafe? And I'd be like, yeah. But what was cool with the breweries is it's not a meal or anything. It's just like, hey, there's a new brewery. Do you want to just go do a, a sampling and try it out? And it was like, it's mm. not this commitment of we're going to be here for an hour eating dinner. You know, like it was just like, we know what food we like. We like this. But for the brewer, we can right. literally jump in for 15 minutes, try two or three tasters and get a good idea of what it is. And and it was, I love being in that um, type of environment where you could walk there. It, you know, might be a 25 minute walk, but it, it was just such an mm-hmm. easy walk that um, it was kind of a no brainer. Jackie O's officially got me into craft beers, like when I got quote unquote serious about liking them. For a long time, it soured me. Haha, pun intended. Uh, <laughs> it, it soured me on like upstarts because I was like, this just tastes like a normal IPA, you know? And I was almost like, meh, this is just a normal IPA, you know? Like, <laughs> where's the extra fancy thing that, you know, like there's that nut that gets pooped out of the the monkey down in <laughs> Brazil or whatever that they put in coffee beans or whatever. When I was living in DC, you know, DC at the time had just passed their um <sighs> some different laws that were allowing people to brew beer in DC proper for the first time mm-hmm. in like 90 years or something. Like it was kind of crazy. And I think it was the uh Oh, there's a house in D.C. called the the Humbrick House or something like that. I'll I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. But it, like they were, if they would have stuck around, they could have been one of the bigger breweries, you know. But mm-hmm. prohibition just killed them. Like it killed a lot of a lot of people and stuff. But but anyways, D.C. would open all these breweries, and there's two things about it. One, all of them had like lots of money. Where I didn't know where they were getting all this money. It was like they opened up the Anthropology for Breweries magazine and was like okay <laughs> you need rustic looking shelving boom <laughs> you know you need like it was just like i was and it, it seems so manufactured but trying to be this homegrown rustic feeling that it kind of put me off and then when i would try their beer you know they were like we have our ipa we have this we have this mm-hmm. and it was just kind of okay you know there was nothing special about it that kind of put me off to a lot of breweries, um, but I, over the t- over the years, I've grown to appreciate that. Appreciate that because you know what? Sometimes mm-hmm. I just want a good normal IPA. I don't. Right. I don't need something mind blowing IPA that is so completely different than any other IPA. And back to our conversation about locality and something being local, and it's like, hey, this is the local place that only s- sold their beer. That makes a lot of sense, you know. Let's mm-hmm. hey, our IPA is not um, offensive. <laughs> it's it's pretty good, you know. It's yeah, yeah, not crazy out there. So over the years, I, I've grown to appreciate just you know, yep, I like your just standardized beers, and you're still like giving more money to that person making that beer in that local town than if you were buying a Bud Light, and that mm-hmm. you know money's going out side yeah. there elsewhere so yeah. that's always a good thing in my mind like you were saying like at, at a certain point it, it almost becomes like i don't need 
a new mind-blowing experience every time I go out and have a beer. I just sometimes I know what I like and and if if you know, just give me a you know, normal tasting IPA. We don't need to have crazy flavors going on and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, I think those beers definitely have their space in the kind of the beer universe, but um I don't know, maybe it's also a, a sign of like age and and we're not like <laughs> trying to be like as cool we're as not as adventurous we, yeah like <laughs> we're not trying to be like you know oh we got to be on the leading edge of everything so i don't know on right now a, a huge thing in seattle and i've noticed this with a lot of places even in athens is um you know the brewery's open but they don't serve food they all have a food mm-hmm. truck um but a lot of places in Columbus, Brewdog, Columbus Brewing Company, you know, they're they're more established, right? But mm-hmm. are there places that, you know, are just straight up breweries that have you been to? Are are all of them pubs as well? Um, a brew pub as what it's called in the vernacular? N- no, I actually I would I would say a, a vast majority of them are um just just breweries. Mm-hmm. And and the the main reason why, and I I actually learned about this when I did, when I think I took a marketing class, was Breckenridge Brewery had this huge problem of trying to be a restaurant and a brewery at the same time. Yeah. And one thing that people don't realize is when you're a restaurant, there's all kinds of health code stuff you have to yep. ab- abide by, and all of this stuff. So they were kind of the ones that unfortunately were like, Oh, this is the way you shouldn't have a brewery. But so a lot of the ones that, that I go to, they do have food trucks because if you have a food truck, well, you're, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, you don't have to abide by health code rules and regulations because you're just having a, a food truck on your premises. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would say a lot of them, them are just like that. So, yeah. And, they can focus on what they're good at. Like mm-hmm. it, it's almost, yeah. it's like think of the audacity of like, Oh, I make good beer. Restaurants mm-hmm. are easy too. Right. Like, <laughs> and <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, you know, nothing against people that tried to open it, but I think it's just one of those things where you think like, Oh, so many people open restaurants. We can do both, but it's like, you should focus on what you're good at. And if it's mm-hmm. making beer mm-hmm. and selling it to people that like to taste yeah. beer and stuff do that right and and i and i remember kind of what really was like the the nail in the coffin with breckenridge is they were trying to open up a brew pub in texas and for some reason their texas has like a crazy law about like serving food and beer Mm -hmm. and so it just ended up being like this giant headache for for breckenridge because I don't, I don't, exa- I don't remember exactly what the law was, but it was, it was something like crazy. Like you can't have, you can't be a brewery and a restaurant and the same thing. And so mm-hmm. it was like this whole thing that they had to go through. And, and so they, they, you know, finally realized, you know what, being a restaurant and a brewery at the same time, is just not, yeah not a good business model to try to do. Yeah. I mean, certainly there are, are still breweries that, that do that, but I, I think I, I think if you're an up and coming, you should just focus on the beer and not try to be a restaurant at the same time. Yeah. Unless if you, <laughs> you know, you have 
Sarah's this amazing brewer, and she's got this mm. vision for making beer. And Sarah's friend Steve is an amazing restaurant manager and makes the best cheap burgers around. Like if you know, mm. it's like one person being good at one thing doesn't necessarily mean they'll be good at another thing. You know, right? So, right. But I, I, I do see that a lot of, uh, you know, overextension or. I see a lot of overextending themselves, you know, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. that's true in everything in life, right? Like, just do what you're good at. Um, you obviously want to try and expand at a certain point, but is expansion necess- uh, is expansion necessary at the beginning? Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of mm-hmm. it, it's funny because one of Jackie O's, I mean Jackie O's, a slogan is sustainably crafted with purpose, and like. Mm-hmm. Um, Art, the owner, like, will, like, tell people that he only distributes in Ohio, um, even though he could easily distribute, you know, across state lines, Mm -hmm. because he uses everything local as much as possible, and he wants those providers to grow with him, and he's not overextending any part of his business, um, because... You know, there probably will be a recession coming and we're not a (laughs) finance or, um, you know, future uh, thinking podcast. But Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. that overextension and even when you brought up the Breckenridge, like going down to Austin or whatever, I was just like, why? Like that is right. That that seems, you know, again, I don't know anything about that business and stuff. And maybe they had family there and they thought they could do it. But it's just it's like my immediate reaction was like, I good luck to him. But. Uh, that seems like, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, because if my memory serves me correctly, I, I believe that was like their first like big expansion that they tried to do. do and and they're like, oh, you know, like we're in Colorado, but we're we're going down to Texas. And then yeah. like all these crazy Texas laws, you know, happen yeah. and stuff. And but, why, but while you were talking, it, do you think so? Like I was you know Jack Yo's is is the the number one person in a brewery in Athens do you think there's a market for other breweries smaller breweries to 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 uh come up in Athens or or do you think like you know Jack Yo's has a good position why why would I ever want to try to start another brewery in Athens when Jack Yo's is clearly the the king dog in yeah. town. Um, and just to give people some background on Athens, Athens, Ohio is a, a small college town. Ohio University is based out of it. I think there's, uh, let's say, 20,000-ish undergraduates um, that live in Athens, you know, three-fourths of the year, maybe less. Um, so the town itself is probably only 10,000 people. So it's a small town. You know, college students are gone. It's a small town. Um, so, yes, uh, Jackie's is definitely, um, I would say, the number one um, brewery in Athens. Um, by far, just by volume and everything, they have three locations. Um, but like anything, I think there's always an opportunity uh, to for someone to not have aspirations to be like Jackie O's, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. Jackie O's isn't aspiring to be goose Island, you know, they're aspiring to just 
be very well known in Ohio right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I think there's a few breweries uh, that have opened uh, that keep that mindset. Um, one is called Devil's Kettle. They actually make some of my favorite beer I've ever had. Um, Devil's Kettle, Half No Fury. If you can get it, get it. It is... It is my number one by far uh, beer, mm-hmm. but they're really small. You know, um, I yeah. think it's 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 one person. He um, does all the brewing himself, and I'm sure this has changed in the last year and stuff. But you know, he has a little food truck that it's, has really good food. Um, but I think it, it's about expectations, right? Like he mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. not going to open a place in Columbus right now. You know, um, right? Because what works for him is him being brewing being at his place hiring the people that he knows every day there you know and trying to expand to a columbus market or you know somewhere else uh probably isn't a smart thing uh there's a few other breweries another good one is uh, little fish um and i think even their name i haven't asked sean the the owner of it but i think even their name is the play on the idea of opening yet another brewery in this giant oh, yeah. pond of yeah. brewing companies, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. whether that's directly related to Jackie O's or just breweries in the United States, you know, there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, what's great is they have a unique style. They're going for something different um, than what Jackie O's was doing. You know, they didn't come out and say, you know, we're going to do wild, crazy stouts and lots of bourbon barrel age stuff that Jackie O's is really known for. They were like, you know, we're going to f- kind of focus more on the sour side and, and lighter side and stuff. And I, I think they're succeeding pretty well. They, they mm-hmm. have official, they've expanded quite a bit. They have a full service kitchen now and they have actually, Kevin, you need to come down because they make, amazing pizza <laughs> mm, that sounds pretty good right now yeah actually. and it's like it's it's not deep dish but it, okay. but it's not thin it's like this mm. in between um but it's really good um so yeah i think I, you know there was and athens is a good market for it you know um there's twenty thousand students if you would have probably asked me in the early 2000s when I was spending like $3 a day on food, if I would ever want to go to a brewery and spend $6 mm-hmm. on a beer, I'd be like, you are mm-hmm. crazy and stuff. But times are changing. And yep. there yep. are so many bars per uh, person <laughs> in Athens, Ohio. I think there's 20 plus bars uh, because of the student population that there is a segment of students that have money one way or another, whether they work for it or their parents give them money through it. But they, you know, every bar in Athens now carries at least a Jackio's or a local brewery. And that's just the local stuff. You know, they'll carry Brewdog mm-hmm. and everything else. And right. these aren't cheap beers. These aren't dollar keystones, you know. it's um, Yeah. They'll still have the dollar keystones, <laughs> and, that, and that'll definitely be for those people. But um, I don't know. It's just it's an interesting thing, and I think I would say if you asked me if there was ten breweries, I would say that's probably too much, right? Like mm-hmm. they're not mm-hmm. going to sustain. But three seems to be doing pretty well. And just my not at all um, economics person mind head on, I would say Athens could probably sustain another two to three small breweries, right? That just mm-hmm. focused on whether they wanted to be more restaurant-y, like food-wise, and just had some local beer stuff. But um, right. that's just kind of right. how I feel. So what do you think, Kevin? Are you ready for another? <laughs>